for our good. Now we're going to continue our study this morning in 1 John. But before we jump into the scripture, I want to share with you a term that we use to describe someone who believes everything they hear. You know, we use the term gullible, right? It's a term that means to be easily persuaded and even be deceived or cheated in an easy way. For example, there was a mother of some children and uh, every day, especially during the summer when it was really hot, the ice cream truck would come through the neighborhood playing its loud music and obviously the children always wanted an ice cream. And so what the mother did to kind of curb this uh, temptation is she would say uh, this to her children. Kids, when the ice cream truck comes in the neighborhood, if the ice cream truck is playing music, that means he's out of ice cream. So if, the, if, you know, if he comes in the neighborhood, he's not playing music, we'll buy you an ice cream. But if he's playing that music, that means he's all out. Well, you know, the, the, the child believed his mom to begin with. But then day after day, the ice cream truck would come in the neighborhood playing that music. And, and he would just observe the ice cream truck coming through. And all the other neighborhood kids would run out to the truck. And they seemed to be walking away with ice cream. And so he's just thinking to himself, you know, this just doesn't, something's not right here. And so he began to talk with his friends about, you know, when the ice cream truck comes in and that music's playing, how do you get ice cream? And they said, well, we just go up and buy it. And he has plenty of ice cream in there. Really? So one day he decided to go to the source. And as the ice cream truck was making its way through the neighborhood, he runs out to the curb and the ice cream truck pulls up and the ice cream man pokes his head out the side. And he says, sir, when you come in the neighborhood, why do you play that music? And he said, well, I want everybody to know that I'm coming through and I have plenty of ice cream that I want you to buy. He said, interesting. And as you can imagine, he's going to quickly go back to his mom and say, I found out something a little different than what you told me about that music in the ice cream truck. It actually means he's got plenty of ice cream. And then obviously, you know, his mom may have gotten in a little trouble, but you know this type of testing to figure out what is true and what is false, even with something as simple as you know this ice cream truck story, it's needed. We need to be able to test claims to see if they're in fact true or, or they're false. Whether we're talking about ice cream or mathematics or biology or theology, you know, we must be seekers of truth. That's what we want to know. We want to know what is true. What is truth? And the passage we're going to look at this morning, John's going to tell us that we should not be gullible, but that we should discern what is true and what is false concerning the teachings about who Jesus is. And so turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And if you do not have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you you can use. And the passage can be found around page 1056 in the Pew Bible. But beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, this is what John writes. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now I want to look at this passage in two parts. I want to start with verses 1 through 3, and then go into verses 4 through 6. And so if you look again with me at verse 1... John tells his readers the following. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so we see that we cannot believe everything we hear. And John tells us that we need to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now he's using language that we probably would not use today. He's saying, test the spirits. I don't know how many times you've used that phrase. Probably not many. But we might say something like, you know, we need to figure out if this is true or not. You know, whereas John would say, we need to test the spirits. Because John, what he's doing is he is linking everything that is proclaimed about who God is. He is, he is tracing that back to a spirit. Whether it's coming from the spirit of God or whether it's coming from the spirit of the evil one or the Antichrist. You know, one scholar says this about the first century. He said, in the time of the early church, all men lived in a haunted world. There never was a time when men were so conscious of being surrounded by spiritual powers. In other words, in John's day, it wasn't uncommon for them to hear a teaching about God and then try to discern where it came from. Where did it originate? Is this coming from the Spirit of God? Or is this coming from some evil spirit? They saw this connection between the natural and the supernatural. But we, you know, being children of the Enlightenment, children of modernity and post-modernity, what we've done is we have divorced the supernatural from the natural. And so we don't talk about that anymore. We don't talk about something being true as it relates to the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the evil one. We just talk about truth and error. Whereas John is linking it back to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the Antichrist. Paul reminds us in this this letter, his letter to the Ephesians, he he reminds us of this in Ephesians 6.12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so as Christians... We realize that both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the evil one are at work in the world. We recognize that, and therefore we must be discerning when it comes to what we hear and what we learn about God. So we cannot believe everything we hear just because you use the term or the phrase God or Jesus Christ or other spiritual language. So how do we discern whether or not It is from God or it is not. Well, John gives us one test in verses 2 and 3. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, 
which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So for John, everything goes back to Jesus. The telltale sign for John is what you believe about Jesus. Who do you say that Jesus is? And for John and his readers, one of the biggest threats to the truth was what would become later known as Gnosticism. And the Gnostics believed that all the material world was evil. Okay? And the idea of salvation was that you would receive this special salvific knowledge and what it would do is it would free your soul from your physical body. Because your physical body was like a prison. It's, it's evil. It's material. So what you want to do is you want to free your soul from the body. Well, now, what do you do with the incarnation then? Well, here's what you do with it. You say, well, Jesus was a man just like everybody else, but at his baptism, the Christ came upon Jesus and did great things through Jesus' life. And then when Jesus was just about to die, the Christ left him. And so what you do is you separate the Christ and Jesus just enough to keep the Christ from having a physical body that is his own because the physical is evil. Well, John is saying that if you do that to the incarnation, if you try to separate the physical and the spiritual, if you try to separate Christ from Jesus, you are in error. If you try to divorce those two things, then you are teaching something that comes from the spirit of the Antichrist. Because he says the Spirit of God always confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. In other words, the Son of God took on flesh and He has dwelt among us. The Son of God united Himself to flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and He will always have that physical body with Him for all eternity. And Christianity teaches that the physical world is not evil. It's good. God made it. And one day, God will redeem it. In other words, you will have a resurrection body if you are in Christ. And you will live in a physical new heaven and new earth when Christ returns. So the physical is not evil. In fact, it's good and God will redeem it and restore all this goodness. But that's not what the Gnostics believe. And so what John is writing his readers in the first century says, you've got to be aware, you've got to discern, just because someone uses the term Jesus or Christ doesn't mean that we're talking about the same person or the same thing. So the test is what we say and what we believe about Jesus. And in the remaining verses, in verses uh, 4 through 6, John is going to give us some additional ways that we discern truth from error. In verse 4 through 6, he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, meaning the false teachers. For he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So on the one hand, we're not to be gullible and just believe everything we hear. And on the other hand, we do not need to be so skeptical that we let truth just pass us by. We have to be discerning and figure out what is the truth. And so how do we, how do we discern the truth? 
I think John gives us at least three resources here that we can use to discern the truth. First of all, he gives us assurance that God is able to communicate truthfully about himself, even in the midst of a world that opposes him. So God can truthfully communicate who he is, even in the midst of an environment that opposes him. And we'll call that the world. And specifically, we see the Holy Spirit working in the world to attest to the truth of Christ. And at the end of 1 John 3, John tells the Christians this. He says, And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. And so God communicates the truth about Himself that can be understood, and He also gives the Holy Spirit that dwells within the believer in order for us to be able to understand the truth. So God communicates in a way that can be understood by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And so the first resource He gives us is the assurance that God is in fact at work and He has communicated communicated truthfully about Himself. Now the second resource He's given us is the Christian community. Notice what John says in verse 6. He says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. And so you see him using that third person plural pronoun there. You know, we, us. It's, it's a community of people. It's not just John out here by himself, but there's a community of truth that is proclaiming who Jesus is. And we'll call that community the church. And it is through this community that we help one another discern what is true and what is false. And that is, that's why it's, it's extremely important, and you may even get tired of hearing it, but we want to just keep stressing the fact that we need to get involved in the Sunday school class. We, we need to get involved in these small groups like we do on Sunday evenings because it's vitally important that we seek out truth together. You know, none of us have all that it takes to know it all. Right? And we need the community of, of faith and believers to help us discern what is true. Not only the community that exists today, but also throughout the centuries and what the church has held to. So the second resource that John gives us is this community of faith that help us seek out what is true. And the third resource God has given us may seem somewhat strange at first. You know, when you first read it, you think, yeah, I'm not sure about this, but this one raises an eyebrow. But I think as we unpack it, it'll make sense. Look again at verse 6. John says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Now listen to this. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So in essence, this is what John is saying. If you're from God, you're going to listen to me. If you're not from God, then you're not going to listen to me. You may think, well... That sounds kind of cultish. <laughs> Isn't that what these cult leaders say? You know, I have the truth. Uh, you know, if you listen to me, you can know the truth. You can have all the benefits of knowing the truth, but you've got to listen to me. Everybody else is wrong but me. That sounds somewhat cultish. Right? And that is. That is what cult leaders say. They say, I have the truth. If you want to know the truth, you must listen to me. If you want to have the benefits of the truth, you need to be in my community, right? 
However, I, I think there's a big difference between you know, what cult leaders such as uh, Jim Jones and David Koresh and Joseph Smith, I think there's a big difference between what they have said and how they say it and how John is saying it here in this passage. First of all, John is not the only one claiming to know the truth. He's not saying, you know, I have the truth, no one else has it. He says, we are from God, whoever listens to us. In other words, he's linking himself to a community that has the truth. And so the question is, who is this community? Well, I think there's a contemporary community of the apostles, those who walked with Jesus, saw Jesus, learned from Jesus. That is the original kind of apostle community that we hold on to in the New Testament, even as the church today. But there's even a broader community that John is tying himself to. And you can see it all throughout the letter of 1 John that he is linking his teaching back to the Old Testament. And so it's not like Christianity is some brand new religion that just popped up in the Roman Empire out of nowhere. But rather, Christianity is the culmination of all the Old Testament culminating in the person of Christ. And so John not only has this community of apostles that are proclaiming the truth, but they are linked back to centuries of what God's Word says that is true of Him all throughout history from the book of Genesis onward. And so first of all, John is not the only one claiming to know the truth. He is in a community that, that is claiming that. And also he's connecting himself back to the Old Testament community because Christianity is not a new religion, which is the second point I wanted to make. And that is why when Paul and Silas could go into a place like Berea in Acts 17, Luke records this. He says, when they go into Berea, they go into the synagogue and they begin to proclaim the truth about who Jesus is. And this is the response of the Bereans. Luke records, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So as Paul and Silas were proclaiming the truth about Jesus, what were the Bereans doing? They were looking at the Old Testament. And they were thinking, how does, is what Paul is teaching, is this really connected? Is this really the fulfillment of the promises of God? And in fact, it is. And so John is linking himself not only with the apostles in the first century, but also all the people of God that have gone before him in the Old Testament. All of this is linked together. That's quite different than a David Koresh or a Jim Jones or Joseph Smith received this individual revelation and claimed to have the truth. This is a community of truth. So what John and the other apostles were saying, were not, it was not a product of their imagination or their own interpretation, but they knew the truth in the Old Testament. They saw the truth in the person of Jesus Christ, and they were taught the truth by Jesus Himself. And that's why Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, he could say something like this. In Galatians 1 Verse 8, listen to what he says as he writes the Christians there in Galatia. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And all throughout Galatians, he's, he's, arguing, by, he's arguing about how the gospel that he proclaimed to them was not taught by men, but it was given by God. 
And he's saying, even if I were to come back and teach you something different, or even an angel from heaven would teach you something different, let them be accursed. Because it's all about the message about who Jesus is. Is it true or is it not? I want to try to illustrate this by, uh, by using a game that we would play sometimes in a group. This is a fun large group game if, you've ever, if you ever find yourself in a large group, kind of bored, wondering what to do. Here's a game. And all it requires is a deck of cards. So let's say you have a large group of people. What you need to do is get a deck of cards and pull out two aces, a king, and then enough of the numerical cards to cover the group of people that you have there. And then you circle everybody up. One person is the narrator, and the rest of the people will be playing in the game. And so the narrator takes the deck of cards that you have taken out and, and goes around, each person grabs a card. And you look at your card, you don't let anyone else look at your card, and you figure out what role you're going to play in this little game. Well, if you get a numerical card, like a five or a six or something like that, you are a townsperson. Okay, that's your role. Now, if you get a king, there's only one king. If you get the king, then you are the sheriff. And there are two aces in the deck, and if you get those two aces, you are an assassin. Okay? And so here's how the game works. The narrator gathers everybody together, everybody's got their role to play, and the narrator tells everybody to go to sleep. And so everybody bows their head, closes their eyes, and then the narrator, who's the only one that keeps his eyes open the whole time, says, okay, assassins wake up. And the two assassins wake up, lift their head, open their eyes quietly, because you don't want to give yourself away. Because there's two ways to get kicked out of the game. One way is by getting assassinated. And I'll tell you how that works in just a second. And the other way is to get voted out by the townspeople because they think you're the assassin. So you don't want to make noise. So the assassins wake up, they look at each other, and quietly they gesture to who they want to assassinate. So let's say that, you know, say Celia's playing the game and they point to Celia. Okay, and they're in agreement. Then the narrator says, okay, assassins go to sleep. And then this, the narrator says, sheriff, wake up. And the sheriff wakes up. And the sheriff gets one chance. Each time he gets to wake up, he gets one chance to point to someone to see if they're the assassin. And so the sheriff wakes up, he points to a person, and the narrator either says yes he is the assassin, or no, he's not the assassin. And then he says, Sheriff, go back to sleep. And then he says, townspeople wake up. Everybody wakes up. The narrator tells who's been assassinated. And then the townspeople have to figure out who is the assassin. Now, as the game goes on, let's say one time the sheriff wakes up, points to Alex, and Alex is actually the assassin. And the narrator says... He gives him the nod. Yes, he is the assassin. Narrator tells everybody to go to sleep. And then he tells the whole town to wake up. And now what does the sheriff do? Well, see, the sheriff has to figure out a way to communicate the truth that Alex is the assassin without making it look like he's the assassin. You know? And so there's a neat little game there you've got to play. But you can imagine there can be some difficulty if you're the sheriff trying to, you know, Convince the whole group that Alex is the assassin. Believe me, I know what I'm talking about. You're like, uh-huh, really? Are you the assassin? 
Is Alex the sheriff? Maybe he's the sheriff and you're trying to kill off the sheriff. So you can see the difficulty with just one sheriff. But just imagine you're playing that game and you have 12 sheriffs. And all 12 know who the assassins are. It would be much more likely that they're able to convince the townspeople of what the truth really is, right? I think that's the difference in what John is saying here. I don't think John is just arrogantly saying, you know, I have the truth. If you're from God, you'd listen to me. No. It's John with all these other sheriffs. And he's saying, this is the truth. There is such a thing as truth. We're speaking the truth. Will you listen to what is true? And John himself is standing in this line of truth, stretching back from Genesis all the way up to the time of Christ as John proclaims what is true of Christ. And so John can say, if you are from God, you will want to know the truth and you will believe those who are speaking truth. So we see here, there is a such a thing as truth and it is our responsibility to seek it out. We want to know what is true. And so just as that child sought out the truth about the ice cream truck, you know, he, he talked to his friends about it, his community about it, he observed the ice cream truck, and then he went to the source, the ice cream man himself, and he found out, in fact, the ice cream truck plays music if they have lots of ice cream. And he found out the truth. And so the question is for us this morning is, who are you listening to for the truth? Do you want to know the truth? Where, where are you getting your information about Jesus? And I want to encourage you, whether you're not a Christian, or you've been a Christian for decades, that we would be like the Bereans, that seek the truth by using all the resources God has given us. And I hope as you leave here this morning that you will not be gullible and believe everything you hear, but also that you would not be so skeptical that you let truth pass you by. But rather, I pray that we would leave here with this renewed desire to know God through His Word with His people. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that You have given us access to truth. And we know that Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, we know truth is not just a culmination of facts, but truth is a person. And that person is your Son, who has come in the flesh, who has dwelt among us, who has died on the cross for our sin, who has been raised from the dead, and who sits at your right hand forever. And Lord, I pray if anyone is a seeker of truth this morning, whether they know you or not, that they would be open to the truth of who you are. And through your word, through the community of your people, through sheer observation, that you would reveal yourself to them and help them come to know Christ personally. I pray for those who know you. I pray that you would spark in us a renewed hunger for Your Word, because Your Word is truth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.